Brendan, Find the Rock. Let's all stand together while they go, can we? God bless the Find the Rock class. <clears throat> Amen. And we finished that um, wonderful marriage. Uh, I guess it was like a seminar, eight-week seminar class with Jeremy uh, last week. We're going to do something again with Jeremy in the future. And how many of you appreciate what he did back there? Wasn't that good? All right. How many of you have ever needed your soul restored? Well, that was an overwhelming amen. I, I think this is probably one of the top favorites of mine in the 23rd Psalm. Of course, you can't have very many. There's only six verses. But when David the Psalmist talks about his soul being restored, let me tell you quickly, <clears throat> I see this as one of the greatest needs in the church today. There are so many people walking around whose souls are damaged, wounded, bleeding, hurt, crushed, shattered. And thank God that when we got saved, we connected to a restorer of our soul. What is your soul? It's your mind, your will, and it's your emotions. Suke is the Greek word from which we get, of course, psychology, but your mind, your will, and your emotions. And Jesus said he restores our insides. Amen. So we're going to pray that tonight, not only here but by radio, uh, God does some restoring. And I want you to breathe a prayer that God will restore your soul. If you've been hurt, if you're walking around down feeling crushed, I want to pr pray that right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray for the healing and the restoration of the souls of people. David bragged on you when he said, He restores my soul. I pray for those whose souls have been damaged, wounded, crushed, shattered, who are walking around looking good on the outside but bleeding on the inside. I pray for those who have been disillusioned, disenchanted, who are disgruntled, who can't find joy, who can't seem to find their place. I pray they'll be restored. And in the radio audience, Lord, Chicago, Michigan, Illinois, Palm Springs, Lord, Las Vegas, everywhere where this is going, I pray, reach through those airwaves. Heal our soul. Give us hope again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, that was a dangerous prayer. It's going to happen to you. All right. Um, let's look at this now. He restores my soul. I want us to read the first three verses together, and we're just going to continue until we're down in the last sixth verse, and on the last night we'll read the whole thing. But let's read. Preach to me now. Don't make me do it all. Let's read it. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Then what does he do? He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? This is the most famous uh, portion of Scripture, this psalm, uh, than any other Scripture in the Bible. Go anywhere in the world, and they're probably going to recognize, at least, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 23rd Psalm 
has been called the Prince of the Psalms, the key psalm, the top psalm. We saw that in the, at the first of this series that Psalms 22 is the psalm on crucifixion. Psalms 23 is the psalm on his shepherding. Psalms 24 is the psalm on his return. 22, crucifixion. 23, the great shepherd of the sheep. 24, his return. Well, we're in 23. He's been crucified 22, and 24 is about to happen. So uh, let's look now at this one. The image most would have of King David is that of a victorious man, always together, supremely confident and capable, riding from one wave of success to the next. It is hard to imagine him in need of restoration of soul, as his psalm suggests. It's not the way we picture David. The giant killer is the way we picture him. Is that really all there was to David? But David, no, was well acquainted with the experience of being cast down. It was he who asked the question three times in two different psalms. Read it with me. Why are you cast down? Who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? His soul. He's addressing his soul. You ever do that driving down the road? You ever catch yourself talking to yourself? Rebuking yourself? Praising yourself? Ain't you something? <laughs> Rebuking yourself? Condemning yourself? Do you know that you talk to yourself more than you'd want to admit? We talk to ourselves all the time. But you know what? We don't do it as a discipline to pick ourselves up. Because you command yourself to come out of the mully grubs. And this is what he did. Why are you cast down on my soul? And read the rest. And why are you disquieted within me? Now here we have presented to us a clear sign of soul trouble. Disquieted and cast down. That's the way broken souls feel. I can't tell you, church, the importance of having a whole soul. I'm not talking about a saved soul. I'm talking about a whole soul. Part of what Isaiah was talking about when it says, with his stripes we are healed, he wasn't just talking about physical healing. He was talking about the healing of you and I on the inside. I am such a believer in soul care. I believe that you ought to every day feed your soul the Word of God. Amen. You ought to every day give your problems, your cares, your perplexities to Jesus. If you don't care for your soul, no one else will. A lot of people just neglect their soul. They'll get a million-dollar mansion, huge bank account, all kinds of nice cars and things, but totally neglect their soul. When that's the most important thing, Jesus said, what does it profit you if you gain the whole world? But you lose your soul. It doesn't profit you at all. Because this life is a blink sandwiched in between two eternities. And so what it is, this thing called life, it's our opportunity to walk with God, honor God, obey God, for the rewards that we will receive and enjoy for all time. But when you have soul trouble, there is a soul healer. And being disquieted and cast down and walking around feeling down and blue and troubled and disquieted and distressed and all of these things that are not reflective of the Spirit of God, there is an answer. I can tell you when I came to the Lord, I was one troubled soul. But I have found 
that Jesus is the shepherd of my soul. Not just for the hereafter, but for the here and now. And so David was tossed within. I'm so glad he told us the truth about it. He was struggling to find hope. He was discouraged and blue. He had tasted defeat in his life. He felt the frustration of having fallen under temptation. Yet in all three instances, three times, the same verbiage in two different psalms, he addresses his own troubled soul with these encouraging words. Read it with me. Hope in God. Talk to your soul and say this again. Say, hey, soul. Now read it. Hope in God. Why? For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Do you believe that? Give the Lord a hand of praise if you believe that. Amen. I will yet praise him. He's going to break through for me. He's going to come through for me. Now, only those acquainted with sheep and their habits understand the parallel between David's words and the realities of what true sheep experience. Sheep have a nasty habit of wandering away from the flock in search of food, water, or plain curiosity. They wander. Now, I know none of you ever have wandered from God. Do you wander? Of course we do. As a matter of fact, you know what Jesus said you and I are like? Sheep. Sheep wander for many reasons. Here's the danger that once alone, they will lie down turn over on their back, and be unable to get up. Did you know that sheep do that? We've all seen the commercial of the elderly person who falls and can't get back up. I've fallen and I can't get up. Remember that commercial? And then you got that little beeper where you can just... All right, this is exactly what happens to sheep. They fall and they can't get up. When this occurs, we say that the sheep is cast or cast down. But they're normally known as cast sheep. It's the sheep that falls down, rolls over on its back, flails, and can't get back up. That's what happens to them. It happens to them after they have drifted and wandered and strayed. Now, when a shepherd approaches his flock in the morning and sees that one or two sheep are missing, the first thing that flashes through his mind is, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, one of my sheep is cast somewhere. I must go and search and set it on its feet again. You know why? Look at that cast sheep. A cast sheep is a pathetic sight. That's pathetic. But you know there's a lot of Christians out there that look just like that? How many of you have ever been just like that? Come on. Somebody hurts you, wounds you, your soul gets troubled, and you say, ah, you know, I'm going to get out of church. I'm just going to get out of, I'm just going to take a little sabbatical. And you end up looking just like that. Cast. It's a pathetic sight, lying on its back, its feet in the air. It flays away, frantically struggling to stand up without success. When a sheep becomes cast, the sheep cannot help himself. And it's exactly the same with God's people. As a pastor, I can tell you, I walk out here twice a week to all of you, Wednesday nights, about a quarter of you, uh, Sunday mornings, now at about 1,400 of you. I walk out. And you think I don't know when you disappear. But I'll go up to people and say, I haven't seen you in a while. You noticed I wasn't here? But you see, when I see somebody disappear, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks go by, you know what I start thinking? Uh Uh-oh. They're cast. 
Dirt sitting at home? <laughs> or are you ready? Are they in a bar somewhere? You, you know what I'm saying? And, and you'll call them and you find out, yeah, you know, I'm hurt, I'm wounded, or I had a terrible deal happen with my job, lost my job, I'm blue. Why are you cast down? Cast down, oh my soul. David was even using sheep terminology when he wrote that. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? This little sheep here, and for those of you listening by radio, we're looking at a sheep on its back, all four legs up in the air, looking very pathetic. And so I find out that, that Christians get cast all the time. Do you know on any given Sunday, there are, many, there are hundreds, probably thousands of God's people throughout the city who are not in church, who are not in fellowship, who are out there, something happened, they wandered, they drifted, they strayed, they got out there, and now they're flailing in the air, they're cast. And you know what? They can't get back up. Now what happens? Sometimes that little sheep will bleat a little for help. Some of you maybe get called by one of them. I got hurt. My feelings are hurt or something happened and I'm discouraged. You'll get a call and then you won't hear for a long time because they'll only bleat for a little bit and then silence. But generally they lie there in fright and frustration. Every week I should be in church. Every week I should be back in the things of God. Every week as it lies there struggling, here's what begins to happen to a real sheep. Gases begin to build up in its stomach. As these expand, they tend to retard and cut off blood circulation to extremities of the body, especially the legs. Now watch this metaphor. They lose the blood flow. The blood's no more flowing active in their life. They're not walking with a healthy flow of blood. And Christians who get cast get disconnected from the things of God and there's not the blood flow there used to be. Now, if the owner doesn't arrive on the scene within a fairly short period of time, that sheep will die. That sheep will die. Now, no doubt, this is the picture of a cast sheep uh, and this is what Jesus was uh, talking about in his parable of the shepherd who left 99 sheep in the fold to go in search of the one that had strayed. Why was there such an urgency about leaving the 99 and finding the one? Because he knew that it was cast. And if he didn't find it in time, it would die. I have seen as a pastor, I can tell you, if someone gets cast and they get out there and they're not approached, they're not connected or, or, or contacted within a given period of time, eventually the blood flow, the things of God, the flow of the Spirit, everything they've known, grows very distant. And if you don't find them, if, they, if something doesn't happen to, to wake them up, I've seen them go off into the things of the world and stay for years dead. I know them right now. I know of several. So there is an urgency when in a church, and it's not just me that's got to go find them. You know the ones that are cast. You. You're a minister, just like me. Matter of fact, uh, we're all, uh, you're as called as I am. I'm just called to equip you. I'm called to convince you that you're a minister. And that you should be doing the work of the ministry. So if you know about someone that is cast, 
their legs are flailing, they're out of church, and you know they're hurt, you know they're wounded. And man, one week becomes two, becomes two months, becomes three months. Don't just pray for God to help them, you go help them. But now, that's why Jesus said, man, he leaves the 99, they're okay. And he runs and looks and searches with urgency for the one that he suspects is flailing away somewhere cast. Now, when a cast sheep is found, the shepherd first rejoices. And, I, you know, we see it every week. We see people saved every week, and we see people return to Christ every week. And there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. But he, here's what the shepherd does not do and what we do not do and none of us should do. He doesn't strike the sheep. He doesn't say, hey, stupid, what are you doing? Repent or burn. <laughs> and he doesn't walk away saying, you shouldn't have been so foolish. Tisk tisk, lay there and die, stupid. No. Instead, he tenderly rolls the sheep over on its side. This is what a real shepherd does. If she has been down for a long time, the shepherd will lift her to her feet, okay? And next, holding her steady, because she can't stand on her own, he'll begin rubbing her limbs to restore the blood flow to her legs. Have you ever been restored by the Lord? Have you ever noticed that when he restores your soul, restores you back to him, it's always, it's always to get that blood flow, that awareness of what the blood has done in your life and the forgiveness and the power of the Spirit of God that the blood released on you? Have you ever noticed that he, he gets the blood flow going again and the, the life of God flowing in your veins again? That's what he does. So he'll hold her up and begin to rub the legs and get that circulation going. If you let her go, uh, she can't do it. It takes time when a sheep is being restored. Now, you know, we like instant miracles, but let me tell you something. A miracle is instant. Healing can take time. And when it's your soul, it usually does take time. Matter of fact, I've, I've rarely known of a soul that was restored that didn't take time. It's a process. It's not an overnight thing. Your soul gets cuts, it gets scars, it gets wounded, it gets twisted, it gets damaged, and it takes time at the shepherd's feet, restoring the flow of life to you again. You've got to be patient with the restoring of your soul. When the sheep starts walking again, she'll often stumble. We see this all the time. Somebody come to the altar, oh, God forgive me, I'm right with God now. And that very next week, they're stumbling again. Now, do we go out there and go, hey, stupid, we prayed with you once, see you later? No. We say, come on, let's try it again. We're not in pain. We're going to work with you until you are walking on your own, skipping like a calf. We're not going to condemn you. But she'll often stumble, she'll stagger, she'll collapse in a heap once more because she's been down for a while, and it was almost a death. One shepherd writes of this moment, quote, all the time I worked on the cast sheet, I would talk to it gently. When are you going to learn to stand on your own feet? You ever have Jesus say that to you? When are you going to learn to stand on your own feet? I'm so glad I found you in time, you rascal. I'm going to tell you, aren't you glad he found you in time? Seriously, aren't you glad? Little by little, the sheep would regain its equilibrium, finally to walk steadily and surely. 
Soon it would dash away to rejoin the others in the church. <laughs> Sorry. In the flock. Set free from its fears and frustrations and given another chance to live, live a little bit longer. I tell you, it's the day for every cast sheep. Come home. And it's, it's a day for every believer who knows a cast sheep. Go find them, talk to them, pray with them. I talk to people who know cast sheep all the time. Tell them you have a limited amount of time. I'm not saying this condemningly, but the longer you stay out there cast, the harder it's going to be for you to get up and come back. Come on now, I'll come pick you up. I'll, I'll take you to church. I'll come with you. I'll pray with you right now to come back to the Lord. I will be your mentor. I will disciple you. I will help you. I will be at your side until you are walking on your own. All of this is a beautiful picture of the simple statement, He restores my soul. Many people picture God as a mean old tyrant in heaven just waiting for you to make a mistake that he might disown you and walk away in disgust and that's the way we picture god you know why because that's the way people have done us but he's not them thank god he's not them aren't you glad he's god and you're not jesus said he who has seen me has seen the father he does not sit there and wait to stomp you when you make a mistake if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's also a reflection of the Father's heart in heaven. God has the same identical sensations of anxiety, concern, and compassion for cast men and women that a shepherd has for his sheep. I believe that with all my heart. God cares when you stray, when I stray. And all of heaven will turn over every stone possible to find you and bring you back. Think about it. When we watch Jesus in the Gospels, his conduct in coping with human need is endlessly compassionate, patient, and shepherd-like. The tenderness, the love, the patience that he used, for instance, to restore Peter's soul after the terrible tragedy of his temptations is a classic picture of the Christ coming to restore one of his own. Where did Jesus find Peter after he had denied him three times, the third time with vile cursings? Where did he find him? Well, the Bible says he was out fishing, but you know what he looked like out on that sea? He was cast. He was cast. He said, man, I've blown it. I denied the only son of God, and I was supposed to be the big preacher. I was the one that was in the inner three. I watched him transform in front of us on the Mount of Transfiguration. I was in the in crowd. I was one of his favorites. And I denied him three times in front of the whole world, in front of John and all the other guys. I, the big preacher, the one with the call, and I used my voice that was supposed to be used to preach to deny him. It's over for me. I'm going fishing back to my old life, my old ways, my old surroundings, my old trappings. And Jesus came and found him, didn't he? And what did he do? Children, have you done any good in your cast condition? You haven't caught a thing, Lord. No, you don't catch anything when you're cast. Well, come here and let me talk to you. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. You know I love you. Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And he restored the cast sheep. 
Simon Peter. In another psalm, David once again paints a striking picture of God as the shepherd of his soul. Look what he said. For you have rescued me from death. You have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life giving light. What a beautiful picture of a rescue from a cast condition. You rescued me from death. In another place, you brought me also up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. You set my feet upon a rock and established my goings, and you have put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. He was always rescuing David. And he rescues you and he rescues me and he restores our soul. Let's face it. Let's be honest tonight. The life of the child of God is not one endless joyride on the salvation bus. Is it? Most of God's children at one time or another become cast. How many of you in here have ever been cast? Let me see. Ever been cast? Okay. That's all of you. The rest of you aren't saved yet. So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you've never been cast, you will at one time or another. Now, how does it happen to a believer? Well, the same way it happens with sheep. Let me show you some ways so that maybe we can avoid the danger, the real danger of being cast. As it goes with Christians, the same parallels and principles happen with real sheep. Here's how a believer becomes cast. First of all, with a real sheep, there is the danger of looking for a soft spot. Here's what I mean. The sheep that choose the comfortable, soft, rounded hollows in the ground in which to lie down are very often the ones that become cast. They say, boy, that looks comfortable. It looks just like a lazy boy. Boy, that looks comfortable. I think I'm going to lie right there. You know what? Ironically, they become cast in their comfort. It is the same for you and me. I know a lot of them have gotten cast in their comfort. Too often we Christians search for the soft spot, don't we? What is that? It's the road of least resistance. The easy way. Uh, the cozy place where there's no hardship. Don't like battle. Don't like war. Don't like blood, sweat, and tears. Want an easy street. And right when we think we have it made, we drift from the shepherd and become cast in our comfort. Jesus told the church at Laodicea, You say to me, I am rich. And I don't need anything. I've got wealth. I'm in a soft spot. I'm comfortable. Got a nice home, nice job, nice car, nice kids, nice wife, nice husband, nice everything. I'm in a soft spot. But Jesus said, you don't realize the truth. That you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Pitiful is a word that would be used for a cast sheep. You can become cast. Not that there's anything wrong with comfort until you're so comfortable, you no longer seek God, no longer feel a need for Him, no longer lean on Him. You're cast in your comfort. These Laodicean Christians that were lukewarm were in a cushy place, a soft spot, and they felt they needed nothing, but in fact, they were cast. And Jesus said, you better wake up and buy some meat from me some eye salve so you can see and let me wake you up and bring you to spiritual health. Now here's a second danger in becoming a cast sheep. It is being weighed down with the old self-life. This is another way Christians become cast. First, the soft spot, the cushy spot. No more need for God. Second, 
I'm weighed down with my old life. What does that mean? The old self-life is the insistence on having our own way, following our own desires, our own hopes, our own aspirations. We're making plans without ever seeking God about it. We're, we're doing what we want to do, going where we want to go without ever seeking God. It's when we place self on the throne of our hearts instead of Jesus. This is what we call an immature Christian or a carnal Christian. They have not made Jesus the king of their life. They're still on the throne. And so you get weighed down with your self-life. You get weighed down with you. The parallel to real sheep is the problem of having too much wool. This is exactly what happens with real sheep. Their fleece can become matted with mud, manure, burrs, and other debris. And the sheep literally becomes weighed down with his own wool. So when that dude, that one weighed down with all that wool, lays in that soft spot or lays on the ground, on his back he goes and he starts flailing because he's so heavy with himself. Can I tell you what God wants to do with you and with me? He wants to kill us. Y'all are looking at me like, well, give me some good news, Pastor Jeff. That's thrilling. Let me tell you what part of you wants to kill. He wants to kill your self-life. What got you in all your trouble before anyway? You did. What gets you in trouble now? You do. You want your own way. You want to go your own direction. You want to do your own thing. You want what you want when you want it. And you get you in trouble when you are assertive. Have you ever noticed a little kid? You don't ever have to teach a little kid. Be assertive. Have you ever had to say to your child, hey, I wish you'd be assertive. Or I wish you'd be selfish. Would you try being selfish? You don't ever have to tell them that, do you? Because they are naturally. Have you ever seen them fight over a toy? That's mine. No, it's mine. I, it, I want it. I mean, little kids will kill each other over a toy. But what is this all going back to? When they're yay high, they have this strong, assertive, adamic, fallen nature that insists on its own way. That's what God wants to kill. A little bit of Christian, deeper teaching here, but that's what God wants to kill. Pastor Jeff, where's that in the Bible? Well, let me talk a little bit about the Bible. Wool in Scripture. Wool in Scripture depicts the old self-life in the Christian. Rather than mud, burrs, and debris, the Christian has the tendency to cling to things, to cling to possessions, and to cling to worldly ideas that weigh us down and drag us down and hold us down in our walk with Him. And the Lord will set out the minute you're saved to renew your mind and bring your will in submission to his. What did he teach us in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said, Father, if there's any way for me to get out of this, please show me, do it, do something. He told his own disciples, if I ask for it, 12 legions of angels will come and rescue me right now. I've got 12 legions of angels at my beck and call, but I will not do it. What did he end Gethsemane with? What was the end of his prayer? Not my will, but thine be done. Now, who's our leader? He is. Who's our teacher? Who's our philosopher? 
Who's our master? Who's our owner? Who's the shepherd? Who's the sheep? And what does he say? I've taught you how to live. I've taught you how to die to yourself. Not my will. Now, there will come a time in God's life, usually several events, some major, lots of minor. Listen carefully to your teacher here tonight, because I'm going to tell you the truth about how God works in your life and mine. There will be several major events where God will move in to kill your will. To break that will, not in a bad way, but to make you pliable and submissive and submitted to him. Sometimes it's, it's a heartache. Sometimes it's a huge disappointment. Sometimes it's something that you just wanted with all of your being and, and, and somehow it did not work out. And you, you've got to understand when you're a child of God, providence is in control of your life. He is in control of your life. And so with a few major events, bang, 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 God will, God will come to break that will. Where finally you're saying with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. He doesn't turn you into a wimp or, or, or somebody that has no desire for things or anything like that. But no, he, he breaks that strong, self-demanding, insistent will. Jacob was a con artist all of his life. Jacob was a manipulator, a user of people. He had this strong, assertive will all of his life. And he conned his brother Esau out of the birthright. He joined with his mother to con his own daddy out of the blessing. He was a con from beginning to end. Jacob was a con man. Jacob had a strong will. Jacob did things Jacob's way. You read the account in Genesis. He met his match when he met his future father-in-law, Laban. For 14 years, Laban conned him and used him. And he reaped what he sowed. But nevertheless, when he finally left Laban and began to return to his own homeland and the promised land, he knew that he was going to encounter Esau, who was a mean dude. Jacob was smooth-skinned, kind of a tent, living among the tents kind of guy. Esau was the hunter. Harry, he's kind of gross when you read about him. Just this really red-headed, hairy guy. But outdoorsman, tough, rugged, deer hunter, boar hunter, live out in the woods, kill, hunt, bring game home. And Jacob had conned him. So when Jacob's coming home, it says in the midnight hour he got up. And he was looking across the river to the promised land knowing I'm going to meet my brother and he may kill me for what I did to him. And suddenly a man appeared and they wrestled. And they wrestled all night long. This strange, mysterious man. Jacob finally said, what's your name? He said, why do you ask me my name? And then this man said to Jacob, what's your name? Well, Jacob means trickster or con man. And Jacob said, well, you know what my name means, and I live up to it beautifully. My name means trickster. My name means con artist. My name means usurper. And they wrestled, and the man reached down and pulled his hip out of joint, pulled it out of socket. He said, your name will no longer be called Jacob. It shall be called Israel, prince with God, 
because you have wrestled with God and prevailed. Now listen, that wrestling, from then on it says when Jacob walked away, his name was no longer Jacob, no longer the common man, it was Israel, but he walked away limping. And he limped the rest of his life. You know who I trust? People with a limp. You know why? Because their will's been broken. Are y'all with me? So here comes Jacob. It used to be he'd come right up, but now he's something soft about him, something broken about him, something submitted about him. He's no longer the calm. He's the prince with God. What did it? He wrestled with God. Now, you will have times when you wrestle with God. And, of course, you're not going to win. Everybody know you're not going to win? You know, it's a done deal. You get in the ring with God. Let me tell you who's going to win. But watch this. In those wrestlings, he breaks that will. I, I'm spending, I didn't mean to go into all that, but do you, help, do you see how there are times when God will come in and you'll wrestle with him about something? And it has to do with your will. And you finally, you learn to say, okay, not my will, but yours be done. And so those worldly ideas and worldly possessions and all those things that used to mean so much, they don't mean that much to you anymore. All you want is the will of God. That's all you want. Whatever it means, that's all you want. Now, when this happens to a real sheep, and then when he's weighed down with his own will, the shepherd will shear the wool off when he finds it cast due to too much wool. In the same way, our great shepherd will apply the clean, cutting edge of his word when he finds us cast due to worldly encumbrances. Yes, he will. His tool of choice is the cross. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny who? Themselves. There it is, the will. The will. And take up their cross every Easter. Is that what it says? No, daily. Every day you pick up that cross. What's a cross? Not my will, but yours be done. That's what a cross means. Not my will, but yours be done. Boy, this is good stuff. I'm going to get this CD myself. <laughs> now watch this. What did Jesus say? Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me, they'll save it. You give up your will and receive his will, you saved your life right there. Now, though this is not a joyful experience, it sets us free from ourselves. Now the last danger I want to talk about for the Christian being cast is due to being too fat. I'm just telling you the truth. That's, that's why they get cast. An overweight sheep easily becomes cast. Well, we can figure out why, can't we? Due to his inability to get back up once he's cast. And it's a good shepherd's long-range goal to place an overweight sheep on more rigorous rations. He wants sturdy, strong, energetic, not fat, flabby, and weak sheep. Do y'all think American Christians, which, which category are they in here? Strong, sturdy, energetic, or fat, flabby, and weak? Our good shepherd brings discipline to all of his sheep. He will not allow us to remain self-indulgent. He won't. Lazy or overconfident in ourselves. Over time, the Lord will impose upon us a diet or a discipline that may seem a bit rough at first, but will keep us lean, strong, and full of energetic zeal. He may even say to you, get up earlier in the morning and pray. He may say, spend a little more time in the Word. 
Whatever it is, he's going to bring discipline to your life. Without discipline, you're going to be flabby, fat, and useless as a disciple. You're saved. It'll take some extra effort taking you up in the rapture. I'm kidding. All right. What does Hebrews 12, 11 say? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. God will move it on your life and mine and say it's time for more discipline. Or you're going to get cast. Okay? Now, here's the summary. Looking for the soft spot. Weighed down with the old self-life or being too fat and undisciplined present the top dangers to becoming cast as one of God's lambs. Now our good shepherd, thank God, is faithful to restore us from the damage done by restoring our soul. So cast sheep, he's going to restore you. All the damage that was done, he's going to restore you. Now let's look at the next part and then we're going to close. Read this with me. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now again, sheep are notorious creatures of habit. If left to themselves, they will follow the same trails. Watch this. This really hit me today. <clears throat> if you leave them alone and you don't shepherd them, they'll follow the same trails until the trails become ruts. Stuck in a rut. They will graze the same hills until they turn to desert wastes. They'll pollute their own ground until it's corrupt with disease and parasites. I know that sounds gross, but it's real sheep stuff, okay? Therefore, sheep must be constantly kept on the move, guided and controlled. They must be shifted from pasture to pasture to prevent overgrazing. Now, can I tell you something about you and God? He's going to keep you on the move. He, he won't let you get too cushy, too comfortable. He will not allow you to lay there for too long. He's going to keep you on the move because you will find yourself stuck in a rut. If he doesn't challenge you to step higher, exercise your faith, and move forward. If this is not done, the sheep will wear out their favorite spots, which quickly become infested with parasites of all kinds. Both land and owner are then ruined. So to prevent this, a good shepherd must have a predetermined plan of action, a deliberate planned rotation from one grazing ground to another. He keeps the sheep on the move. He does not allow them to sit too long. The one great danger for any sheep is the tendency to be rebellious. This is what gets people in trouble. It's that will. They get rebellious and they insist on their own way, which is our tendency as well. It's ours. Isaiah the prophet said it so perfectly when he wrote, all we just like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned everyone to which way? Not his way, but our own way. It's natural human nature. Now, just as sheep habitually, blindly, and stupidly follow one another along the same little trails until they become ruts that erode into gigantic gullies, so we humans cling to the same habits that we have seen ruin other lives. Again, I've pastored 27 years. When you... When you're around people, you're around Christians, you're around just human beings as a pastor for very long, and you just study human nature. It's amazing to me how people will watch something destroy someone else. 
And then they'll go do that very same thing themselves. I don't understand nurses and doctors who step out of hospitals, lean against the wall, and smoke when they just operate on somebody's lungs. I, I, it's We as sheep, listen, can I, can I be blunt? I'm, I'm sure including myself here. Bye-bye. Sheep are stupid in some ways. You're going to have a high IQ. I've seen brilliant people do stupid things. Because our nature is such that we need a shepherd. We just need a shepherd. If you leave us to ourselves, we're going to end up stuck in a rut, cast, arms and legs flailing, stuck, perishing. Stubborn self-will keeps one pursuing the same old paths, grazing on the same polluted land until all that is left is a bag of bones on ruined land. And it's happening in our country right now. It's happening all around us. You don't have to look far. Now this is why Jesus, the good shepherd, comes and says, read it with me, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, let's start over. I want you all to read. I want you to get it. Look what, what did he say? I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find what? Pasture. He says, let me shepherd you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Don't do it on your own. You will end up, in one way or another, in trouble. We used to sing an old song that says, I've decided, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I used to sing that with about 100, 150 kids, teenagers, in a one-way house. We call it the one-way house. But you know what's happened since then? Many that sang that song with me no longer follow. They just don't. Somewhere along the way, some of them got tripped up, got cast, got out of church, got polluted with other philosophies, other worldviews, and they're out there in desperate need of rescue. If we're going to follow him to the end, we're going to have to embrace a rugged life of self-denial with a whole new set of attitudes. And let me give you four fresh attitudes you're going to need, and we're going to close with these. I'm just going to skip over them real quick. Four fresh attitudes. If we hope to discover fresh pastures, abundant life, and holiness. Anybody in here want abundant life? And holiness and a fresh walk with God. You don't want to be cast. You don't want to get out there. You want to go on with God to the end, right? Fight the good fight. Here they are. I must love Christ more than myself. Number one. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. In another place, he said, if you don't love your father and mother and all the others more than me, you're not worthy of me. He said, forever, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. We've got to love him more than ourselves. Number two, the attitude we need to go on with God I must be willing to stand alone apart from the crowd. You've got to give up the desire to be accepted by the in crowd. The in crowd is usually the out crowd. They just look in. Today's in crowd is tomorrow's out crowd. Believe me, wait till you go back to your high school reunion. Whoa! These are the ones that used to be popular and that I, whose opinion I care so much about. Don't worry about what people think. Let me give you a little key. You and I play for an audience of one that's it 
Jesus said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. People are going to uh, push you away, make fun of you, mock you sometimes, ridicule you. Don't let it bother you. If you're going to go on, you're going to have to be willing to stand alone and take the heat. Third, I must be willing to give up my rights in favor of him and in favor of others. We live in the generation of rights, and our rights are killing us. As a child of God, you don't have any rights. In this respect, he's your Lord. You, you have the right to follow him, and you have the right to obey him. But when it's a contest between what you want and what he wants, your rights go away. Paul said in Philippians 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was his mindset? Who made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a what? Servant. So you've got to be willing to give up your rights in favor of him and favor of others. You know, others may, you cannot. It means something to be a disciple of Jesus. It's not just a ticket to heaven. Okay? Fourth, and last, I must embrace an attitude of gratitude over one of murmuring. You will never, ever go on with God if you have a murmuring mouth. Can I tell you what a murmuring mouth is? It's a shovel that digs your own grave. Did you know that over one million people died in the wilderness due to their murmuring tongues and refusal to be led by a loving God? You know what killed them in the wilderness? It wasn't the giants. It wasn't the manna. It wasn't any of that. Their mouth killed them. And what kind of mouth? A murmuring mouth. Ah, God, I'd rather wish I was back in Egypt. I'd rather be back. Why would you pull us out here to kill us? I'm sick of this manna. I'm sick of this walking. I'm sick of this heat. I'm sick of this stinking wilderness. But the bottom line is, they could have gone across in two weeks. But in 40 years, that makes me want to cry every time I say it. 40 years they went around in circles in the wilderness because they would not have an attitude of gratitude. Murmuring and complaining themselves till all their bones were bleached white in the wilderness. If you're going to go on with God and have the right attitude you need, you and I both, all of us, to find green pastures, still waters, to be led out of ruts, to avoid being cast. Some of the most cast sheep in the country are cast because of a murmuring tongue. Cast that thing out. He who would enjoy fresh pastures under God's leadership is going to have to learn to in everything, not for everything, but in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. If we as God's sheep will practice these things, we will be led onto fresh ground filled with rich green grass and still waters of life. And that little picture there on the screen, that beautiful picture of a pond, blue sky with white clouds and beautiful flourishing trees and green grass, that will be a picture of your spiritual life. Can you say with me, he restores my soul. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord.
How many of you are thankful for the shepherd? Isn't the shepherd good? Amen. You know, how many of you know somebody cast? Look at all these. You know what I want to do? Let's take the hand of each other and let's pray for those cast sheep we know about. At our fall festival, at our fall festival, I met a couple who got hurt and they've been cast. They were hurt in another church and they have been cast and they've been out of church for quite a while. And I remember thinking, they're just an example of so many out there. And God wants to restore them. I want us to pray together that the one you know who is cast, that God will anoint you to go and talk to them. Would you just, would you pray with me and would you consider just coming to church once or twice and seeing if God speaks to you? If they need, they might need to forgive. They usually do need to forgive. They may need to release some sin in their own life. But would you let God make you a shepherd who goes and finds them? Let's pray that right now. Lord, we give the cast sheep of Fort Worth, of Dallas, of Johnson County. There are so many, Lord, out there right now, arms and legs flailing on their back, cast, can't get up. The blood circulation, the flow of the life of God is no longer taking place. And Lord, they're spiritually dying. And we ask you, Lord God, to anoint us, to give us wisdom, the right time, the right place, the right words, the right setting to go to them and say, I want to talk to you about your spiritual life. Let's get healed and whole. I pray you'll anoint us, Lord, that even this Sunday there will people, be people who have been cast, who will be sitting out there, and they will experience the blood and the flow of the life of Christ moving in their heart again. We ask it in Jesus' name. Now, will you breathe the prayer and say, Lord, help me to do it. Help me to do it. Help me to reach out to them. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe God heard that. Amen.